0: All right. Thanks, Swag, for uh, that great introduction there. How many, how many golfers do we have in the house? Let me see your hand if you're a golfer. All right. We've got a couple of golfers. All right. All right. We'll do a little demonstration for you here tonight. Um, I've got four uh, plastic golf balls. They are very small, and they're not going to hurt anybody, I hope. But the people on the front two rows, I want you to kind of put your Bibles over your faces, okay, just in case this doesn't go as planned. Uh, but I guess you got a little golf ball Now, whoever catches these golf balls gets a free t-shirt uh, after, the, after it's over Okay, you take it to Austin afterwards, and he got a free t-shirt for you So uh, I came in here, I actually practiced this this afternoon, and, and it went pretty good Now, the ball probably won't hurt you, but watch that especially the first two rows, watch for the tee, okay Because the tee broke earlier, and it kind of goes in there and Okay, so anyway, here we go All right, let's see what happens on this first, I'll hit it easy Whoa! <laughs> that wasn't good at all that didn't work at all. Let's, uh, let's just try it this way, okay? Now, be real careful here, okay? Y'all watch out on this one, all right? We'll see if we can get this one up high. No, nope, that one didn't work either. You know, this went a whole lot better this afternoon when I was in here by myself uh, hitting these things, but uh, we'll try one more, and then we'll just kind of throw the rest of them out there, all right? Ready? Here we go. No, nope, there we go again. All right. Let's just throw them up, okay? How about that? All right? Now, the whole point of this is that when you hit a golf ball right, it goes straight and it goes high. You got both of them, right? So share it with somebody next to you. Did y'all get the ones up here? Okay, all right, so good. So, go see Austin afterwards. All right, so that just totally didn't go as planned, but, uh, but the point of all that is, is is in a golf club, if you're a golfer, there's a sweet spot on the golf club, and if you can hit the ball On the sweet spot and hit it just right the ball goes straight and it goes far and it goes high and it makes a sweet sound when it comes off of that golf club now if you don't hit on the sweet spot kind of like I did here those three times uh, that I uh, tried to do that it's terrible it doesn't sound good it'll go crooked it'll go to the right or go to the left it it won't go straight but if you hit on the sweet spot it's gonna go perfect right down the middle of the fairway. Now that's true with golf clubs. That's true. With t- anybody play tennis? Okay. There, there's a sweet spot on a tennis racket. Anybody play baseball? Any baseball? All right. You know, on a, on, a, on a bat on a baseball, there is a sweet spot. I mean, if you hit on that sweet spot, you know, about three inches from the end of the bat, I mean, it's going to go. Uh, hitting the sweet spot is important in sports. Well, you don't have to be an athlete though, to have a sweet spot. In your life Now, Austin's been uh, going through uh, the book of Acts all semester long, and he, and he said, I think they would enjoy a break from Acts. We're going to take a break from Acts today, okay? And we're going to talk about how do you find your sweet spot in life. Now, let's just get spiritual with it, okay? When we're spiritual, we talk about God's will for my life, okay? That's what we're talking about tonight, all right? But I, I'm going to call it the sweet spot because I, I, I like sports and I like I usually can hit the golf ball better than that, but uh, I, I like that. So we'll call it that, all right? How do you find your sweet spot? So take your Bibles tonight and open to Exodus chapter 23, okay? You've been in the New Testament all semester long, so we'll go to the Old Testament tonight. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, and in just a few minutes, we're going to read about 15 verses, and we're going to read a long passage in there. But I want us to talk about our sweet spot and the fact that God has made you. God has made me to live in a particular zone in our life, in a particular uh, place in our life, to do a particular thing, uh, to have a particular impact on a particular group of people. God has made all of us unique to do that. Just like an engineer makes a a golf club unique with with a sweet spot, God has made you unique with a sweet spot as well. And really, it has to do with, with all of our lives. It has to do with our vocation, uh, you know, what we're going to do you know, vocationally. It has to do with our, our ministry, what we're going to do in the church, and how we're going to serve. All those different things. How many of you remember the first job you ever had? Let me see your hands. It right. probably wasn't that long ago for most of y'all. Okay. Well, believe it or not, I can remember my first job. I was in junior high school. And the guy who lived behind us, his name was Paul Kahn. And Paul Kahn was one of these guys, here I was 12 years old, and I don't know, Paul was probably in his late 20s, maybe 30 years old, and he was one of these bodybuilder kind of guys. I Man, I mean, he was jacked up, and, and here I was 12 years old, you know, and my arms were about that big around, and I mean, I just thought he was a, a Greek god, you know. I just, I, I liked being around Paul, and he had the most beautiful wife that you'd ever seen in the world. I always waited for her to come out, you know, I wanted to see her. But, but anyway, Paul, Paul came to me and asked me if I wanted to work for him. And I was like, yeah, man, yeah, I want to work for you. What, you know, what do you want me to do? Well, Paul was a builder. He built houses. And uh, the, he actually worked for another guy, but, but he was sort of his uh, you know, right-hand guy. And when they would finish the houses, then Paul would landscape them. Okay? And that's what he wanted me to help him to do. And he would come get me after school and take me to this house. And, and we'd get out there, and he would set out all these plants, you know, and he taught me how to plant them. And, and, and he would set them all up, and he would say, okay, plant them. And he would, he would leave, and be gone. And so I learned a lot about landscaping. I knew I learned kind of what plants go where and how to plant them just right and all. And so I did that, you know, after school and during the summers. But one day he came to me, and he said, hey, we got a, We got a little different job for you today. So we got this house we're building over here. It's a split level house. OK, some of it is going to be kind of below ground a little bit here. And so this outside wall, this cement wall, we've got to seal it so that when we put all the dirt up against it, that it won't leak on the inside now i don't know if you know anything about sealing up cement the only way to do it is with a bucket of tar and a big old brush and he said i want you to put that tar on that wall and you know i was 12 years old i didn't know any different. I said, okay yeah sure i'll do that and so i got out there and i had this big old thing and i was dipping that thing in there and i was putting it on the wall well the the other workers were there working too all these guys they were the framers and they were framing up the house and all and all day long they kept hollering at me and said, hey Tar baby, you missed a spot right over there And and, and I didn't miss a spot on myself Because I had tar all over me I mean, I had it on my shoes, I had it on my pants Uh, At one point during the day uh, My boss had gone, Paul had gone And and the, the, the roach coach came by Anybody know what the roach coach is? Nobody knows what a roach coach is you ever been to a construction site when the, when the truck comes up and they got drinks and, 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 and snacks and all that? We called them the roach coach because there was a lot of roaches that ran around with the, inside the truck. But anyway, roach coach came up and I went running over there to get me a drink and, and I was kind of walking back with my drink and I saw my boss driving up and I didn't want him to see me not working. So I took off running back over there. I had my Coke in my hand and I was running and I tripped and I fell and I landed on a thing of nails that goes in a nail gun, Okay. All right. You can't see it maybe from way, way back there. But, but that scar right there is is—you know, like my socks. And I, that, uh, <laughs> that scar right there is from that deal. And, and, and so here I am. I'm bloodied. I got tar all over me. And, and Paul says, I can't take you home. Your mother will kill me if I take you home. But you know what I learned that day? I learned that I did not want to be a tar baby the rest of my life. Okay. So stay in school or you're going to be putting tar on walls for the rest of your life. That was not my sweet spot. Uh, God had another sweet spot for me. And I'll I'll get to that in a minute, how I got there. But that's what I want to talk about tonight. What is your sweet spot? What is it that God has created you to do, that he's put a passion in your life to do? And how do you figure out what that is, okay? I'm going to promise you something tonight. When we leave here tonight, you are going to know what God's will is for your life. Some of you have been looking for it. Some of you have been wanting to know, hey, God, what is, what is your will for my life? I'm going to make you a promise. When you leave this building tonight, you're going to know what God's will is for your life. Okay? That, that a pretty good promise? Right, and you're probably saying, well, how in the world are you going to keep that? Well, let's just see. Okay? But let's read, begin with here in Exodus chapter 23. At this point, the Israelites are in the wilderness. Uh, They'll be there for 40 years and three more books of the Bible, okay? Uh, and here in Exodus, God is giving them all these laws and these regulations and these rules they're supposed to follow. But here in chapter 23, he takes a break from all the laws and the regulations, and he talks to them about their future, okay? You might say he talks to them about their sweet spots about his will for their life. Now, I'm going to read a bunch of verses. We're going to read verses 20 through 33. Uh, and I know it's a lot of verses, but, but follow along with me. And I want you to just listen to how God tells them, I'm going to show you what I have for you. I'm going to show you what your sweet spot is. Right, so let's begin reading verse 20. God says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. And by the way, anytime in the Bible you see the word angel, You probably think in your mind, wings and, 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 you know, and halos and all that kind of stuff. And and I guess that's okay. But what you need to think about is messenger, because the word angel in the Bible means a messenger. So God was sending a messenger to them to give a message. All right. All right. Let's continue on. Uh, Verse 21, pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him for he will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites. and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God. And his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you, and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hittites, the Canaanites, or Hivites, the Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. But I'll not drive them out in a single year. Because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little. Remember that. We're going to come back to that a little later, right? Little by little, I'll drive them out before you until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. I'll establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before and will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them. Or with their gods Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Now I told you it's a long passage, but I hope you heard God guiding them, God directing them, saying, "I'm going to send you to the land of Canaan, to the promised land, and there I'm going to bless you. There I'm going to use you. There I'm going to put you in your sweet spots so that you can serve me and be obedient. To me, So, with sort of that passage in mind now, let's think about this question for us, all right? How do I find? How do I discover? How do I get right in the middle of God's will for my life? Now, I believe it was a couple years ago, Austin, when you guys did the study uh, that uh, Stanley wrote, uh, didn't you, on uh, how to do... God's will for your life. The title of it was "How to Know When You're Headed in the Right Direction: Discovering God's Will." Andy Stanley uh, wrote this study about it, and basically in that t- study, he, he he said two things, uh, more or less. Number one, he said God has a personal vision for your life. I hope you believe that. I hope everybody in this room believes that that God has a personal vision for your life. And number two, God wants you to know what that personal vision is. You know, God's not into keeping secrets. He doesn't want to keep it uh, secret for you, to you, from you about what his will is, what his plan is, what his sweet spot is for your life. He wants you to know, because if you know, then you can live right in the middle end of it, and you can be productive as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur is another one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book entitled, The Will of God is Not Lost. And I kind of like that title, because a lot of times we think we've got to find God's will And we sort of had this idea in our minds that God's got it hid somewhere. And, and, you know, he's kind of got us blindfolded and we're kind of looking around and God says, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. No, you're getting colder, you're getting colder. Now, God doesn't do that. God doesn't hide things from us. We don't have to go find it. Instead, he says, I want you to know what it is. And so let's start just this way. Let me just give you three things that God will use to show you his will for your life. Okay? Three things that God will place in your life, place before you, that he says, I want you to use these three things to understand what my will for your life is, what your sweet spot is in life. All right? The first thing is pretty simple. It's the Bible, God's word. God's going to use his word to show you what his will is for your life, what his perfect plan is, what his perfect uh, 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 sweet spot is for your life. Now, Andy Stanley in that study says that there are three different wills of God, okay? One he calls the providential will of God, the providential will of God. Now, that's those things that God is going to do regardless, whether you're obedient to him, whether you follow him, Whether you listen to him or not, God's going to do some particular things in this world and in your life, whether you like it or not, whether you choose to follow it or not. That's the providential will of God. The second is what he calls the moral will of God. All right, the moral will of God. That's really what we find, you know, back there in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of God's laws and some of God's moral things. For instance, you don't need to ask God whether or not you should go down and rob the Seven Eleven tonight when we get through here, okay? You don't need to ask God that, right? God's moral will says, no, uh, stealing is wrong. You don't need to ask God whether or not you should have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you get married. That's not something you need to ask God whether or not you should do. That's a part of God's moral will, and he's very directive and very clear about that right here in this word. But there's a third will that he talks about that he calls, there's a providential, there's the moral will. The third will is what he simply calls the personal will of God, and that is personal to you and to your life. You see, God has a personal will for your life. Now, I've got a lot of scriptures I'm going to give you tonight, so you may just want to write down some of these uh, references, but Psalm 119, 105, right? Psalm 119, verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my feet. Unto my path you See, that's what the Bible is the Bible is a light to my path it shows me where God wants me to go and what he wants me to do so you want to know what God's will is for your life open this Bible open this book you'll never find God's sweet spot for your life until you open his word and begin to read it and to learn from it All right, a second tool God uses uh, to show us what his will is uh, is other believers other Christians other people that God places in your life to help you and to encourage you. Now, I want to give you three verses here, okay? They're all out of Proverbs, all right? Proverbs 1, verse 5, first of all, says, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, all right? Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And finally, Proverbs 15, says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. If you want to find your sweet spot in life, if you want to find God's will for your life, you would be wise to listen to other believers around you. Now, sometimes that could be older believers. Sometimes it might be people your same age. God might even use somebody younger than you. Uh, chances are, though, for the most part, it's probably older people than you. Dorothy Huff was one of those people in my life. When I was 17 years old, getting ready to be a senior in high school, uh, I really began to pray and ask God, God, what, wh- what is your sweet spot for my life? Now, I didn't call it back, back then. I, just, I said, God, what's your will for my life? had no idea where I was going to go to college, what I was going to study, what I was going to do with my life. And so I just really began to pray about that. And God used Dorothy Huffstutler. And I don't remember how old she was. It seemed like she was 95 back then. Uh, But, you know, she probably wasn't. Uh, I went to her funeral just about two years ago. But Dorothy Huffstutler, every time she would see me in church, uh, she would come up to me and she'd say, God's going to call you to be a preacher. God's going to call you to be a preacher. And I remember thinking she was a little kind of crazy, you know. I mean, after all, she was 95, at least in my mind. But I'll never forget the night that finally I felt like God was calling me to the ministry. And uh, my pastor presented me to our church and said, hey, we're going to pray for Jeff. And we're going to encourage him because God's calling him in the ministry. And I'll never forget Miss Huffstutler coming up to me. and She said, I told you so. And and watch that on off. But God used her in my life. And at the time, I didn't realize who she was. Or, you know, I, I mean, I knew who she was, but I, I didn't realize that God was really using her. But thankfully, he brought somebody like her into my life to do that. Now, it may not be an old lady in your life. It might be you know, a father, a mother. It might be a friend. But God will use other believers in your life to help you to understand what his will is for your life. So he'll use the Bible. He'll use other believers. And the third thing I want to say is just simply this. I'm going to call it patient prayer. Patient prayer. God will use patient prayer in your life to show you what his will is for your life. Now, just a moment ago, we read Exodus 23, verse 29 and 30. I said, I wanted to go back to that. Remember what it said? It said, God told them he would drive them out little by little. You see, sometimes God reveals his will. Will for our lives, his plan for our life, our his sweet spot for our life, and he does it little by little. That's why I said patient prayer. You know, I'm not a very patient person. You know, I like things to happen bang right now. You know, I'm not one that likes to wait. But God has taught me patience through the years to wait on him. James chapter uh, one, verse five says, If you likes wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. My father's favorite verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, which basically says, You can pray about anything. You know, I think sometimes we think, Oh, know, I'm not going to pray about that. God doesn't want me to pray about it. Hey, God wants you to pray about anything and everything in your life. And so you got to pray patiently, asking God, God, show me. God, show me through your word. God, show me through other believers. What your plan is for my life, what you want me to do, where you want me to go, how you want me to, uh, to follow you. You know, if there was one person who lived on this earth who knew what his sweet spot was, it was Jesus Christ himself. Listen to three verses that talk about Jesus and his sweet spot. Luke twenty two forty two. 42. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to go to the cross, remember what he said? Luke, 40, Luke 22, 42. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me but not my will, but yours be done. Hey, that's a great prayer for us to play. Say, God, not my will, but your will be done in my life. John four thirty four. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then John six thirty eight says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You know, the very essence of the Christian life is to do God's will for our life, to do exactly what God created us for, what he gifted us for, what he prepared us for, what he put a passion in our hearts to do. That's what God wants in our life. So those three tools, right? The Bible, other believers, and then patient prayer will help us to discover what God's will is for our life. Now, I told you in the beginning that I was going to tell you before you left this place what God's will is for your life, Okay. Well, here it is okay i'm going to give you six things tonight all right six things that i know beyond any shadow of a doubt are god's will for your life okay you ready here we go number one first of all uh, it is without a doubt god's will that you be saved that you be delivered from sin that you be delivered from the the punishment of sin which is an eternity separated from God In a place the Bible calls hell It's God's will for you that you be saved and Let me give you some biblical evidence of that First Timothy chapter 2 Verses 3 and 4 says This is good and pleases God Our Savior who wants all Men to be saved and to Come to a knowledge of The truth Second Peter 3 Verse 9 says the Lord is not slow In keeping his promise as some understand slowness He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, this is so much a part of God's will that God created the plan for you to be saved. He created the opportunity for you to have forgiveness of your sins, eternal life, a home in heaven, and to not experience the punishment of sin. And that's why he sent his son to die on this cross for our sins. But you know, God does say, though, there are some Who sort of think they're saved, you know, because maybe they were born into a Christian family or because they, they go to church or maybe because they go to overflow on Tuesday nights. But listen to what Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 and 22 says, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. You see the will of the father who is in heaven is that you embrace his son. That you embrace what His Son, Jesus Christ, did for you on the cross. Let me read one other verse. John six forty says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. So the bottom line here is that no one who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ will ever know what God's will is for their life. You will never be in God's will for your life until you are saved, until you have let Jesus Christ come into your life right so that's the first of god's will for your life is that you be saved right number two a second part of god's will for your life is that you be spirit filled that you be filled with the spirit the holy spirit of god ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 says therefore do not be foolish but understand what the lord's will is you see again god wants you to know what his will is for your life he said don't be foolish don't be ignorant instead understand what it is now he goes on in verse 18 to say this do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead and here it is be filled with the spirit that's god's will for your life that you would be filled with the spirit now it's crystal clear he wants you to be saved but it's also clear that he wants you to be filled with his life now you might say well why in the world does god put those two things together in that verse He talks about being drunk with wine and he talks about being filled with the spirit Why would he put those two together in that illustration? Well, the the bottom line is this. It's all about control It's all about what has control Over your life and the bottom line is alcohol can control your life Somebody who is under the influence of alcohol is under the control of that alcohol and they're not themselves They're stupid They do things they would not do otherwise. They say things they would not do otherwise. They go places they would not go otherwise. When you're under the influence of alcohol, you're being controlled by alcohol. And I think that's why God uses this comparison right here. He says, instead of being controlled in that way, he says, I want you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, when you are saved, when you let Jesus Christ come into your life to be your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into your life as well. You get all of God at one time. Okay? There are some who teach, oh, it's a it's a second blessing later on that you get the Holy Spirit. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible says right from the start, when you get God, when you get Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. However, by the very fact that this verse is here, it says that we're not always filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We've got the opportunity to have Him, but we're not always filled. And by the very fact that it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit says, it's really kind of a day-by-day thing. Every morning we've got to wake up and say, okay, God, I'm going to let your Holy Spirit fill my life today. I'm going to let you come in and have control of my life. And I'm not going to let alcohol, or I'm not going uh, to let my schoolwork, I'm not going to let my relationships, I'm going to let my job or anything else control my life. I'm going to let you control my life, and I'm going to control all these other things around me with your help. And with your guidance. So the bottom line is, it's God's will, first of all, that you be saved. Second of all, that you be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Alright? So what's God's will for your life? Well, those two things. Number three, a third thing that I'm absolutely certain is God's will for your life and that is that you be set apart. That you be set apart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 says this, for it is the will of God your sanctification. Now, that big word, sanctification, simply means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be different than the world. You know, you might ask, well, what? Set apart from what? Well, set apart from sin. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to set ourselves, set our lives apart from the sin and the things of the world. Now, I read first Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Let me continue on verse 4. Verse 4 says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Verse 5 says, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do not know God. And then verse 6 says, and, in, and, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Now somebody had about how to be set apart there. He said we ought to be set apart in our bodies. We ought to keep control of our bodies. We ought to be set apart in the way that we treat other people. He says, not taking advantage of them, not, uh, not uh, sinning against them. So we ought to be set apart away from sin. You say, well, how far? How far away should I be from sin? As far as you can get. As far as we can get. That's how, how much separate God wants us to be in our life. So what's God's will for your life? Number one, you be saved. Number two, you be spirit-filled. Number three, you be set apart from God. I a fourth thing that I am absolutely certain as a part of God's will for your life is that you be submissive. Submissive. Now, that's kind of a dirty word in some people's language. Uh, submissive. You know, that, that kind of sounds like, you know, weak and, and, and those kind of things. Well, listen to what God's Word says. James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when I think about the word submit, I think about humility. I think God wants us to have humility in our lives. Now, let's just be honest. There's not a lot of humility in our world today. You don't believe me, just turn on the NFL on Sunday afternoon, all right? Watch how some of those guys act after they score a touchdown or make a tackle or something. You know, it's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing. You know, they all want want to draw attention to ourselves. But God says part of his will for your life is that you live a humble life that you be submissive. First Peter chapter 2 verse 15 says, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. You know, if you're not humble, there's going to be some ignorant talk about you. Foolish men and women are going to talk about you. But if you are humble, if you are submissive, then people are going to speak well of you in your life. All right. So, what is God's will for your life? That you be saved. That you be spirit-filled, uh, that you be submissive, that you be set apart. All right, number five, a fifth one uh, from God's Word. Fifth part of God's will is that you suffer. Somebody said, oh, hold on now, I like the first four. <laughs> I don't know about this one, though. Suffer? Really? Well, listen to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. He says, it, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing Evil. You see, the Bible says that God wills our suffering because He knows what it does for us. He knows how it shapes us and molds us and gets us exactly how He wants us to be for Him. First Peter 2:20 says, If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. You see, God is pleased when we suffer. For doing what's right, and we endure it. First Peter four nineteen says, "Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right." You see, when you suffer for doing what is right, when you suffer for being a believer, for following Christ, God says you're doing what is pleasing to Him, what is honoring to Him. Now, if you suffer what is doing wrong, what you for uh, for doing what is wrong? That's just discipline. Okay, that's God's discipline in your life. Or maybe the world's discipline. But when we suffer for doing what's right, that's when we honor God and we lift up His name. I can tell you, it's God's will for your life that you suffer for Him sometimes. You know, sometimes, you know, if, if, you, if your testimony is, it's easy to be a Christian, and I would say to you, you're not being the kind of Christian God wants you to be. Because being a Christian is not easy a lot of times. You know, going in and walking on the campus at UNT or at TWU, and being a Christian, that's not easy. That's not easy because Satan is alive and well on both of those campuses. And he didn't want Christians running around. He didn't want you going around uh, doing the things we're talking about here. And so if you choose to do that, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer some embarrassment sometimes. You're going to suffer some, some, some chastisement sometimes. Maybe some, some uh, uh, ostracizing uh, uh, particular groups and, and areas and so forth. You're going to suffer As a Christian. And God says, that is my will for your life. All right, finally the last one. Number six, God's will for your life is that you be thankful. That you be thankful for what God does in your life. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A constantly grateful heart always rejoices. It's always thankful for what god does in our life now i know in this room there are lots of different backgrounds uh, lots of different homes you come from some of you come from very wealthy families you've always had everything you know you needed in life others of you though maybe come from uh, families where you maybe didn't have everything you needed you know sometimes it seems like that person it's easier to be thankful uh, than someone who maybe has had everything in their life but the bottom line is god says he wants all of us to be thankful You know, it's it's interesting to me that some of the people who have the least seem to be the most thankful, seem to be the most generous and the most giving uh, in our world. But God says no matter how much you have, little or much, he wants you to live a life of thanksgiving, a life of being thankful that God's done the things that he's done in your life. So let's review. What is God's will for your life? All right. These six things. All right. Number one, that you be saved That you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. That you be spirit-filled. That you be filled with the Spirit every single day of your life. That you be set apart. Set apart from sin. Set apart from the world. Set apart from the way that everybody else acts around you. That you be submissive. That you have that humility in your heart and in your life every single day. That you suffer. That you suffer for doing what's right. And for following him. And finally, that you'd be thankful for the things that God does in your life, for the direction he gives you, for the sweet spot he gives you, for the passion he gives you in your life. That is God's will for your life. Now, some of you are thinking, man, that's pretty disappointing. You know, I thought you were going to tell me who I should marry, what job I should take, you know, what I should major in, you know, where I should live the rest of my life. Well, so let me tell you this. If you're doing all six of those other things, Okay, If you've been saved, if you're spirit-filled, if you're set apart, if you're submissive, if you're suffering for Christ, and if you're thankful for Christ, if you're doing all six of those things, I can tell you what God's plan is for your life. You ready? Here it is. Do what you want. Marry who you want. Have whatever career you want. Major in whatever it is you want. Go live wherever you want. You say, "What, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I'm saying. If all six of those things are true in your life, then God has control of your life. God has control of your desires. And whatever your desires are, that's what God has placed in your life. And so you're going to be right smack in the center of God's will for your life. You're going to be right in the sweet spot of God's will for your life. You know, sometimes people ask me, how did you know that you were supposed to be a preacher? How did you know you're supposed to go in the ministry? And, and and you know, years ago I would give all this, you know, I prayed all this time and God spoke to me and Dorothy Huff and you know, all that kind of stuff and all. But you know what i am basically come down to say is this. People say, How did you know you wanted to be a preacher? Here's my answer. Because I wanted to be a preacher. Because I wanted to go. Into the ministry. How did you know that Tammy was the one? You know, you know. I, I tell the story about walking into Waco Hall at Baylor University, and she was standing up on a chair holding up this sign with a big K on it, and I was in the K group, and, you know, I was ready to date every girl at Baylor. I, I really was, man. <laughs> I'd had a girlfriend for about three years, and we broke up. And I couldn't wait to get to Baylor and date all those girls. And, and literally, without it, Tammy was the first one I ever saw and ever met and never dated anybody else. But, but you, know, I, you know, I used to tell the whole story. But you know, bottom line, how did I know Tammy was the one? Because I wanted to marry Tammy. I wanted her and nobody else. You say, well, well, how's that biblical then? Give me a verse. You ready? Here's the verse. Psalm 34 and, or I'm sorry, Psalm 37 verse 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, let me, let me be real quick to say this. That doesn't mean he'll fulfill your desires. Instead, what that means is he'll plant his desires in your heart. You see, I knew that God was calling me to be a preacher because I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a minister. And I felt like God had placed that desire in my heart. I wanted to marry Tammy because God had placed that desire in my heart to marry her. And the same thing is true in your life. God will give you the desires of your heart. And if you're doing all six of those other things, if you've been saved, if you've been spirit-filled, if you're being submissive, if you're set apart, if you're suffering, uh, what was the last one? If you're, uh, can you remember the last one? If you're thankful, then God's desires are going to be in your heart. And you'll know exactly what His will is for your life. And every time you swing in life, it'll go right down the middle. And it'll go long and far. Because you'll be right in the center of God's will for your life.